Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Try telling her. Honestly, Effie, listen, will you? No, the elephant man didn't have a trunk and huge big ears. He just didn't. But will she listen? No. She'll never listen when you try to talk sense. I've known Effie Jacobs for nearly two months now, and sometimes there's no reasoning with the woman. And this is one of those times. You see, Effie has had her head turned. I mean, she even tells me, when we're having coffee and cake this afternoon, that she suspects she might even be in love. You've only known him a week, I gasp, catching my breath on a fragment of hot buttered tea cake. But that's how it goes sometimes, Ducky. I've been caught up in a whirlwind of amour. Usually you'd be hard-pressed to find a more cynical old woman... She can't stand anything sentimental. She reads romantic novels only so that she can laugh at them and pour scorn on the hopes and dreams of the rest of humanity. Or so she says. And now look, after only one week of knowing Keith, she's gone head over heels. I've only met him once. It was yesterday evening. Effie's been keen to get my opinion. She's been raving about him ever since Monday. That night she was at a special fitness class at the Christmas Hotel, Gumber or something. It's for ladies and gentlemen of a certain age. Well, I told her, no thanks, I'm not about to don a leotard in public and go throwing myself about in a chock-a-block ballroom, which is where, apparently, it all goes on. I know my limits. Anyhow, that's where she met Keith, the latter-day elephant man. He took her for fancy cocktails afterwards at a swanky new place on the seafront. They had a number of mojitos as they sat in their tracksuits, sweaty as anything. They quenched their thirsts and ate each other up with their eyes, she says. When I heard about this, I was astonished. 
Um, why do they call him the Elephant Man? I ask her, dreading some saucy kind of answer. I brace myself for smut. I'm asking this as the two of us ascend 199 steps below St Mary's Church. We're on our way to meet him. You'll see why, but you mustn't flinch or react at all, Brenda. You see, he has a slight, uh, what do you call it, facial disfigurement. He's quite self-conscious, so you mustn't make it worse for him. How could I make it worse? How can she think I'd be so tactless? Here's me, with all my scars and my own bodily oddity that I feel so self-conscious about and try to conceal from the world. How could I ever react in an untoward fashion to someone else's peculiar looks? Mind, it is a bit of a shock when he opens the door of his caravan and reveals himself in all his glory. The fact that he has an actual elephant's trunk and huge flapping ears does give me pause for thought. On the bright side, at least I have an answer to my question about where his nickname comes from. He wears a scarlet dressing gown and over its silken folds hangs his pendulous trunk, which is prehensile too. As he mixes the three of us vodka and tonics, his trunk is gently prizing ice cubes out of the plastic tray and dunking them into our tumblers. I can't help staring, and Effie nudges me. It's such an honour to meet you, Brenda. I've heard about all the adventures you and my new girlfriend have been having. Really? I hope she hasn't told you too much. Oh, we don't have any secrets from each other, Effie sighs. I already feel like I've known Keith all my life. Now this is serious, I realise. Both Effie and I have secrets neither of us want broadcasting. It won't do if Effie gets slapdash while she's in the throes of love. The caravan is very modern, just as Effie bragged it was. But it's not very spacious. Squeezed into the corner of Keith's breakfast banquette, I can feel the beginnings of claustrophobia coming on. Effie's practically sitting on his knee, which I find embarrassing. As his great big ears flap, the two of them look happy as anything. Perhaps I should stop being so mean-spirited. Why do I have to doubt the truth of their love? Then Keith is telling us all about his fascinating life and times, how he spent most of his life on the road, travelling round the world in a series of mobile homes. Yeah, I've seen some really amazing places. The world has such variety, you know. So many wonderful things to see. You get so blinkered and small living in just one place. Oh, it must be wonderful, says a doleful Effie, cradling her glass. I've been nowhere. In all my life, I've only lived here, in this tiny town that hardly ever changes. In the house where my aunties brought me up, I've never known any excitement whatsoever. I raise both eyebrows at this. No excitement at all? Isn't she forgetting the hair-raising excitements of recent weeks? I suppose nothing is any cop compared with the excitements that the globe-trotting Keith and his prehensile trunk can offer. Now Keith is talking about his illustrious lineage, 
and the terrible things his forebears suffered as a result of their genetic legacy. They all had the same um, features, Effie explains. One time I'll show you my family album. The earliest recorded member of my family was the famous John Merrick, who had such a terrible life as part of a travelling freak show. His travelling wasn't a matter of fancy and whim like mine is. He was a prisoner of his own deformities, and he was treated abysmally in that ignorant age. Effie cries out, Just think, Brenda, a relative of John Merrick, the elephant man himself, I'm going out with one of his actual descendants. He was my great, great uncle. Keith gives a mournfully jubilant toot on his trunk. And the evening continues in this vein, with us crammed into that caravan, listening to Effie's new beau blowing his own trumpet. Honestly, he doesn't really seem to have any real interest in either Effie or me. I needn't be bothered about Effie airing our secrets. Keith is only interested in his own self. At midnight, I decide that it's time I went... We've had a few vodkas by then and a whole box of French fancies. Effie holds them out one at a time for Keith to tenderly take in his trunk. I'm woozy and looking forward to a brisk walk home across the harbour. Coming with me, Effie. She jumps up and starts fastening her mac. She's already told me that she and Keith have stopped short of becoming physically intimate, as she puts it. She has revealed to me, however, that she is powerfully attracted to him despite his deformities. And you can tell. We bid him farewell and he waves from the doorway of his caravan. It's parked in the long grass rather close to the ruined abbey. Our way home takes us through the rather frightening graveyard, where we are soon knee-deep in sea mist. I dearly hope there's no dogmuck about because we can't see the ground at all. Effie is keen to know what I think of him. I manage to answer in general terms and don't mention his awful boastfulness. As we descend the 199 steps, I foolishly mention something that's been bothering me. As soon as it's out, I'm regretting it. You do know, don't you, Effie, that the elephant man was a poor fellow with a horrible condition. He didn't just look like an elephant like your Keith does. We are passing under a Victorian gas lamp just as I say this, and Effie's furious expression is illuminated for me. How dare you, Brenda? How could you be so awful? How could you deny Keith's birthright? How could you doubt his word for one second? Well, the thing is, the original Joseph Merrick looked nothing like your Keith. You see, I happen to know him personally. <gasps> My words are out before I know it, and Effie looks at me like I'm completely crazy. In that instant, I feel it, too. Did I know Joseph Merrick? Where did that memory come from? It has risen from the darkest, murkiest depths of my memory. Brenda, what are you on about? How can that be true? I don't know, I stammer. And then the two of us concentrate on trotting down the rest of the steps, careful not to trip after all the vodka and excitement. At the bottom, on Church Street, under the smoky light of another lamp, 
Effie surprises me with a bold question. Just how old are you, Brenda? And how many different lives have you lived? Later that night, I'm having one of my strange flashbacks. I'm heating some milk and while I project myself onto the astral plane, the pan boils over and the attic is suffused with an acrid stench. But the whole house could be in flames and I'd be none the wiser. For I'm standing there like a lemon and my mind is elsewhere. I am in old London town where it's foggy and stinky and slimy underfoot. This is where I used to eke out my days living in a dreadful warren of back alleys. I was a seamstress, wasn't I? The hands I had then were so nimble and skilled. I lived in Limehouse where I had a miserable existence for a few years. No wonder I blocked it all out of my memory. But what's this I see before me? A horrid chill runs through me. I remember now how we all lived in fear of that killer. I forget when he first became known as the London Monster. Maybe after the third body was found. She turned up on the filthy embankment, tossed there like an old rag. She was a respectable girl, an employee of the pie shop only four doors down from the rooming house where I slept and spent my days running stitches through fraying garments. I had bought a hot pie or two from her myself and I did feel queasy at the thought of her demise. They said she had horrible contusions all over the exposed parts of her body. Her neck, face and arms bore awful red wheels. She had been strangled by all accounts, but not by human hands. Tentacles, some said had claimed her life, and we all started imagining a vile, suckered, leggy thing come crawling out of the squalid river murk. Perhaps a squid or octopus had come seething in land. Or maybe it was a mad person's pet, or a vengeful eel. We talked about nothing else for weeks, it seemed, because ours was a life of misery and only murders, the grislier the better, could ever penetrate our gloom and get us excited. Friday nights we were all down the pub. The Masks of Satan was my local then, and I remember once when we were having our usual sing-along, there came this god-awful ululation from the street. The most dreadful gurgling scream we'd ever heard. The pianist stopped playing at once. The singing died down. Even the pint the barmaid was pulling dried up at once. We piled outside en masse and a thick bank of woolly mist met us head on. Hurried footsteps were clipping away in the opposite direction. Then we all saw him. A man with, believe it or not, a trunk growing out of the middle of his face about as long as a baby's arm, flapping away as he fled the scene. We forgot all about pursuing him down that dark alley because the next thing was we found his victim. She was the old flower seller who'd spent most of her working life outside the masks of Satan, plying her withered up blooms. Now she lay face down in the gutter, heaped in elderly daffodils. 
When the doctor in our mist turned her over, she was found to have those same ghastly contusions all over her throat. The facts of the case were bruited all over London. The monster had a lethal and prehensile trunk with which she choked the life out of unwary ladies. The last image I glimpse before I snap out of my flashback is that newspaper board again and the headline about the latest death. Yes, I knew that I had seen a trunk just like Keith's before. Such a very long time ago, but somehow the memory has surfaced in order to warn me, I suddenly think. I stand blinking in my kitchen, becoming aware of the aroma of scorched milk and burning pan. I'm troubled because there's something else about the elephant man, something I'm not remembering yet. I can't quite put my finger on it. I turn off the gas, throw the pan into the sink and mop up the mess as best I can. Then I go to bed hoping to dredge up the rest of my memories concerning my life in the late 1800s. However, my sleep is deep and for once quite peaceful. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The next morning, Effie talks me into taking a morning off and we idly check out the charity shops on Silver Street. I'm always on the lookout for unusual knickknacks to display in my new home. I'm examining a collection of Capo de Monte kittens and Effie keeps up a barrage of commentary about Keith. In the end, I burst out, Yes, Effie, I'm sure he's a lovely man once you get to know him. He's so masculine and self-reliant. Effie gabbles on. You know he's customised his mobile home himself. It used to be a horse box. And he's ever so cosmopolitan. He's been all around the world and back again. 
places I've never even heard of, let alone spent time in. Yes, I say, examining the largest of the china kittens for cracks. Yes, I heard quite a lot about him last night. Effie goes frosty. What's that supposed to mean? I sigh. He's a bit fond of the sound of his own voice, isn't he? She looks flabbergasted that I could even think about criticising him. Oh, how could you, Brenda? Don't you realise how shy Keith is? Can't you tell how hard he's had to work to overcome the prejudices that his unique physical deformities have forced him to face? She's gone all pious. It isn't my favourite of Effie's various moods, I must say. People are so cruel, and I think it's marvellous that he's managed not to retreat into himself and become a broken, reclusive man. I am grateful that he's as outgoing and sociable as he is and that he can talk so confidently about his life. Why, I think we could all learn a lot from the way Keith has lived his life and overcome... All right, Effie, enough. I shout at her in the middle of the Sue Rider shop. Instantly, I feel ashamed. She has a look on her face like I've smacked her one. Other browsers are staring at us and I decide on the spot I'd better buy each and every one of the Capo de Monte kittens because the ancient shop assistant is looking at us daggers. What are we doing squabbling? I smile at my best friend in all of Whitby. She still looks sore. I don't know. I think maybe you're jealous of my happiness with Keith. Why else would you be so nasty about him? I hasten to the counter and wind up spending ten pounds on more china cats than I'll ever have use for. The volunteer sales assistant takes a terribly long time to wrap each one in used tissue paper. Effie and I don't exchange any more words until we're out on Silver Street again. The morning sun feels lovely and I wish we weren't at loggerheads and especially over some silly man. Then a new thought strikes me about something she said, and I make things even worse by bursting out. Effie, I meant to tell you, Keith's condition isn't unique at all. I've seen the very same thing before. She glares at me sideways. What are you saying to me? Well, it was a long time ago and very far away from here. Effie tuts. Is this more of your dreary lies? She asks fiercely. Like last night, when you were three sheets to the wind on poor Keith's vodka. You were babbling on about being back in Victorian times. This brings me up short. Yes, you're right, I was, wasn't I? <laughs> I really was, thank you for reminding me. Suddenly I feel like hugging her. She guesses this and backs off. But what I wanted to tell you, Effie, it isn't about Joseph Merrick. Like I say, he never had a great big flapping trunk hanging off his face. Of course he didn't. But someone else did, back then, in Victorian times. Someone who looked just like your Keith. The London monster, Effie. And I saw him with my own two eyes. Effie is looking at me like she thinks I'm the one who's the monster.
Late that very night, after a wearying afternoon I spent doing heaps of laundry, there's a loud banging at the door in my side passage. I assume it's Effie come round to apologise for being so shrewish. But it isn't. Keith! I burst out. His appearance startles me somewhat. Under the porch light, his trunk casts most of his face in deepest shadow. He's wearing a tatty pork pie hat, and his eyes are narrowed at me. I didn't realise he even knows where I live. <laughs> this is a surprise. Can I have a word, Brenda? All of a sudden, I've got a bad feeling about letting him in. I look him up and down, taking in the fact that he's wearing a ghastly shell suit that's seen much better days. As I let him in and lead the way upstairs, it strikes me that everything about him is quite shabby, including his caravan, whatever Effie says about it. I wonder if he's latching on to her because he fancies she must have a few bob stashed away. In my attic sitting room, he refuses to sit down or to accept a mug of tea. I shan't beat about the bush, Brenda. Go on, then. I try to sound as cool and businesslike as he does. I thought we could be friends, but it seems we are destined not to get on. He tosses that trunk of his arrogantly. Its pink tip quivers at me, and I feel revolted, I really do. What can Effie see in this man? I tell him, I'm very easy to get along with, actually. He chuckles and fingers his absurd hat, thoughtfully stroking its brim, though he doesn't remove it from his head. Oh, I saw your expression last night as we sat in my mobile home. I could see all too plainly what you thought of me. I'm not good enough for your precious bosom, buddy. I'm a freak, a mutant, a loathsome monster. <laughs> no, that's not what I was thinking at all. Puh. He trumpets, looking furious. I would never let anyone's looks prejudice me against them, even yours. He snarls at me and his ears flap. I might have a low opinion of you, I tell him. I might think you're a chancer and a seducer of defenceless old ladies. But it isn't because you look like an elephant that I don't like you. My dander's properly up now. I hate to be accused of being something I'm not. I don't think you're right for Effie. No, I tell him. And I don't trust you a single inch. Well, thanks for being honest with me. The feeling is mutual, I might tell you. There's something I don't like about you, Brenda. When I look at you, all my deepest instincts run riot. I detect something rotten and from beyond the grave. What it is, I don't know yet. But I will find out and expose you for the freak show that you are. He advances on me throughout this horrible speech until he's waggling that horrid trunk right in my face. Flecks of spittle are flying off it. I keep my voice calm, unflappable. Please, will you leave my home at once? Got you frightened, have I? I... Uh, no, I say, though my heart is pounding and I expect he can hear it with those ears of his. You know what I should do? I should do away with you. Just put you out of the way. Right 
Now. Before I'm even aware of the danger I'm in, he lashes out with his trunk and it winds its way around my neck. He starts to squeeze and squeeze tighter. It's like being got at by a boa constrictor. With every deadly little squeeze, Keith's murderous face draws closer to my own. He says dreadful things, though they sound rather congested. You will die in horrible agony, Brenda, just like all my other victims. The edges of my vision are spiralling, turning into a black kaleidoscope of impending mortality. But what can I do? I was foolish to let him get this close. And when he gets as close as this, just the length of his lethal appendage, then there's no stopping him. Just like the London monster. After all this time, I have invited this homicidal pachyderm into my sitting room. But surely I can't die like this. I simply can't let this be the end of me. Throughout my prolonged strangulation, my free left hand has been scrabbling away on the wall unit behind me. I draw upon my final reserves of strength and take tight hold of the heftiest object that comes to hand. Then I bring my arm round as hard as I can. I'm like a demon bowler as I smash the ornament down on Keith's head. He shrieks in pain and his trunk loosens its death hold. I see at once that I have brained him with the biggest of my Capodimonte kittens, and it hasn't even broken. What a fortuitous purchase and a bargain to boot. My assailant is staggering about on the rug, making a bigger deal out of my retaliation than he needs to. There isn't any blood after all. The pottery kitten hasn't even broken his leathery skin. He's shouting and swearing and lashing his trunk about. This time, I make sure that I keep well back. You were going to throttle me to death. I cry, rubbing my throat and knowing before I even get to the mirror that I'll have the same tender pink marks those poor girls in London bore. You must be descended from the Limehouse killer, aren't you? What was he, your great-grandfather? Keith seems in no mood for a spot of who do you think you are with me. That was just a taster. If you go anywhere near Effie and tell her about this, or try and warn her about me... I'll do you in, and I'll finish you off next time as well. I can't believe that he's still issuing threats. I must prove to him I won't put up with any more of his nonsense. I make a quick dive for the mantelpiece and snatch up the first thing that comes to hand. Unfortunately, it's the furniture polish, and he sneers as I brandish it in his face. I soon wipe that sneer off his face with a quick spray of lavender-scented wax. He starts backing off towards the door, and I know I have won. His hat's fallen off, and I notice that I have, it seems, left a curiously shaped mark on his skull with that ceramic kitten. Go on, get off with you. Get out of my guest house. Then he turns tail and thunders into the hall and down the stairs. The outer door crashes behind him. I'm still yelling, Go on, you great big Nelly! And that's how my B&B guests find me at the top of the stairs, waving my furniture polish and bellowing at the top of my voice. 
as they come to console me, I burst into noisy tears. It's delayed shock, I suppose, at the awful violation of my home sanctity. I don't, as my worried guests suggest, report my attacker to the police. Best if I deal with this in my own way. Though I don't at the moment have any idea what my own way might be. Then I think I have to make Effie aware of what she has on her hands here. This man is a potential killer, just as his forefather was. I ring her and she doesn't pick up. I leave a breathless message begging her to ring back, but she doesn't. All at once I know that terrible man is in there with her, in her dusty and junky house. I can't stand this. I'm dithering late at night. Should I go next door? Should I chance my neck? Would she even listen if I tried to warn her? I just don't know. What if he's wringing the very life out of her skinny old body right at this very moment? I sit at my writing desk where each night I update my journal. This window looks out over the back of Effie's house. I can see her bedroom lit up all warm and peachy. The curtains at the side aren't drawn yet and I realise that her net curtains are giving a kind of puppet show. Oh, my goodness, yes. There are two silhouettes standing in her bedroom. I'm frozen here like an awful peeping Tom. Yet I can't drag my eyes away from this horrible scene. As she crosses to him, Effie in a slinky negligee, Keith in his pork pie hat and a vest, and his prehensile trunk, reaching out to Effie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.